following a week where Anonymous did their thing for the first time in three years, six people became the new Big Do and Netflix announced the long-awaited return of the Big Lebowski to their streaming service. What more would you need from a film podcast and two blokes talking about 14 episodes of a TV show that would result in three great movies? Hello, wherever you are listening or watching, and welcome to the Rip Ticket Review, a movie podcast that brings a coat pocket full of Jaffa cakes to your nearest party. I'm Jack Smith, and joining me over the power of the internet to discuss the work of the one and only Edgar Wright is the Nicholas Angel to my Danny Busman. Good afternoon, Dan Carver. Good afternoon, Jack. Yes, I think this is one that you were going to take the lead on, yeah. uh, which makes a, a, a nice change because you've been binge-watching Spaced, which was uh, Edgar Wright's 14 episodes. Um, I would say it's his masterpiece, to be honest. I'd, I'd agree with you there. I would actually agree with you there. It's, this is absolutely. This is um, when when this was first shown on through the British television, we got to see a glimpse of comedy which we hadn't seen in a long time, and we got to see the seeds that Edgar Wright plants, which eventually would grow into the Blood and Cornetto trilogy. Oh yeah. But, you know what? I'm, I've done enough talking these past three episodes. I'm going to pass it over to you, Jack. Not a problem, Mr. Carver. It's it's been a real entertaining ride. It all began for me on a random Friday night after a broadcast of the last leg on Channel Four. They put the whole first series on, and I fell in love with it right away. And I knew right there and then this would be an amazing episode of Rip Ticket. So, for those of you who've been living under a rock for the last 21 years, Spaced is a 1999 sitcom written by Simon Pegg and Jessica Stevenson, who a lot of people will now know as Jessica Hines, because she's got married a couple of times since uh, the series went out. Uh, It was made for Channel 4, produced by London Weekend Television, deemed too risky for ITV, because it was all about nerd culture and ITV wouldn't take a serious commission like that nowadays, would they? Um, It centres around two 20-somethings, a comic book artist called Tim Bisley, played by Simon Pegg, and aspiring journalist Daisy Steiner, played by Jessica uh, Stevenson. They'd only just met, and they decide to move in together, and these 14 episodes are essentially revolved around them and their friends, who include Marsha, the landlord who's played by Julie Deakin, Mike, who's Tim's best mate, played by an up-and-comer who we've not heard much of, Nick Frost is his name, as far as I understand, uh, as well as Brian, an artist, played by a legend from Friday Night Dinner, the one and only Mark Heap. Two series were made, and then Edgar went Hollywood to go and make Shaun of the Dead. This is the series, as you've quite rightly mentioned, that is the precursor to the Cornetto trilogy. And oh, where do I even begin? Uh, we, we've, I've got to start by mentioning the sheer amount of movie references, because Edgar Wright is the king of the intertextual reference. In our, in our past lives, we talked a lot about intertextual references, did we not? Yeah. I mean, it's literally there from the very first episode, because Channel 4, God bless them, they put out a list of all the film references. There's, the very first episode goes references to the films Green Card, The Shining, and, and The Evil Dead, and that's just in the first 24 minutes of the series. Yeah. It, it's... It's it's essentially uh, you're looking at space when you look at space it's essentially a love letter to the popular culture and yeah. cult fiction including video games science fiction um, initially there was a lot of love directed towards the Star Wars trilogy until Phantom um, Menace happened until Phantom Menace happened and 
you know, all this is done through the main character of Tim Bisley, who is a skateboard wielding chocolate beanie wearing PlayStation controller playing comic book artist who just wants to make it big mm. and, and, and do something that he loves to do, which is create comic books. Uh, he's working and he works on his um his his uh comic, isn't it? Doctor Mandrake. Something like that, yeah. An orphan boy who has been inadvertently transformed into a giant mutant bear uh from the experiments of the crazed Doctor Mandrake. Uh some something crazy like that. And I think we can all see ourselves. I think what made this really special is in the nineteen ninety nine and two thousand and one was a very, very special time growing up because the reason that I could see, like, I, I enjoyed space and specifically Tim Bisley that played to perfection by Simon Payne. He's literally playing himself. He's literally playing himself. Yeah. He's admitted that in the past. Well, he, yeah, one of the reasons that I could gravitate towards, towards him was because back in those days, the internet was just beginning to take off. And we were starting to see, you know, the internet allowed us to share culture, popular culture and, and cult fiction across the planet with like-minded people. And suddenly we found ourselves a little bit validated, I guess you could say. We, we were validated in our love for all of these things. And suddenly you have this character on space who not only loves these things, but he wants to do something with his life. I mean, who... Back in them days, which 27-year-old who was growing up in this brand new world didn't want to do something with, with someone that they loved doing? Exactly, exactly. And, yeah, I think one of the things that I love about Space is it really takes that whole British comedy trope of real situations that we can all sort of, like, at least relate to and completely blown out of proportion. Mm. And you know it's uh, I, I love it I love it so much. Um, I mean, but you are right. There's so many film references, and not, um, not, not just that. You mentioned the whole idea of the sitcom. This isn't your conventional sitcom in any aspect because there is a of film references. This is an Edgar Wright sitcom, so you yeah. know what you're letting yourself in for. And you mentioned that this was his first major project, uh, where audiences got a glimpse of what was to come. This wasn't his absolute first writer, because, of course, in 1995, he made a ridiculously low-budget film, A Fistful of Fingers, which was broadcast on Sky Movies at the time. This was his first properly big commission for a major network, and a network he would be quite loyal to for over a decade, because, of course, Channel 4 have their film wing, and it's no coincidence that uh, two years after the conclusion of Series 2, and as it sounds the last series... We got Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. And it's an idea that was firmly planted in the third episode of Series 1. And I made a particular point of mentioning this. Because yeah. the opening of Episode 1, you have Tim Bisley off his head on drugs, hallucinating while he's playing Resi 2, cracking game. Uh, <laughs> and you see him 
shooting zombies and you see hints of that style you you feel like you are in the winchester watching the iconic queen sequence go down it is almost like edgar has had a plan his whole career to make films that matter to him and his references and it has paid off quite handsomely yeah it really has i mean it, it's almost as if he was throwing everything he could into space and then, essentially, when Spaced was over, he looks at it and goes, oh, that was a really cool idea. The whole zombie, you know, um, apocalypse um, off my off, off his head on, on drugs and, and, and a very British way of dealing with the apocalypse. Let's see where we can go with that, um, which is, is, is fantastic. Um, and indeed, you are right in saying that there are plenty of film references um, in in this you know, see a series. I mean, episode one, where the two um, protagonists, Tim and Daisy, meet. Daisy decides to use an idea from a film to convince yeah, um, someone green that, card. Yeah, yeah, that she and Tim are a real couple. And of course, she gets the idea from the film Green Card. And again, there's another uh, um, reference to. The Shining, when being shown around a flat, Daisy and Tim make a, a horrific discovery in the cupboard, which yes, was essentially yes. a shot-for-shot shot homage to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. The shot-for-shot shot remakes are just pure class in this programme. Yeah. Series 2 is full of them. And one of these shot-for-shot shot remakes, first episode of Series 2, uh, the standoff from Pulp Fiction is recreated and... It was at that moment that Quentin Tarantino himself admitted that he is a big fan of the programme. So much so that he did the commentary for the Series 2 DVD. Yeah, that's crazy. But it, 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 it rightfully got the interest of Hollywood. Tales were wagging at the end of the first series thinking, oh my God, this Edgar dude is such a pioneering way he does it because it's not a typical sitcom because there's no audience. It's all no. filmed. Yep. What you get to see... The whip pans, the crazy camera work, the very tight editing, frenetic pace with uh, a collaborator who Edgar has worked with his whole career, uh, Paul Maclis, the editor on Space, who worked wonders on Sean, worked wonders on Hot Fuzz, worked wonders on Scott Pilgrim, because we don't forget Scott Pilgrim here at the Rip Ticket. Of course we don't. Uh, but this is like the, the breeding ground for some of the ideas that would go on to shape the Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy of the cast is another important yeah. part of that. Simon Pegg at the time had done a couple of lesser comedies. Jessica Stevenson, well, Hines now, she'd also done a, a couple of lesser known comedies. But what I found particularly surprising was until this point, Nick Frost had never done any acting at all. This was his very first gig. Yeah, and I do believe... Um it was Simon Pegg who included the character um, and he persuaded Edgar Wright to cast Nick Frost in all of this. Um, this was not Nick Frost's decision. It was written the whole, even though it was um, created, you know, space was created by Simon, uh, directed by Edgar Wright. Uh, it was written by Simon, by Simon yeah. Pegg. The two of them were very, very, very close friends back then. Oh yeah. And this was, I guess, Peg's way of saying, look, I've made it big. You need to join me. We're in this together. And it worked. And Mike I... Watt is one of the funniest yes. characters 
I have ever had the pleasure of losing my mind in laughter to. He, and he's just... Nobody could play him other than Nick Frost. Like, no. it would never have worked. If, if if they'd come up with the character but cast someone else, it wouldn't have worked. Nick Frost made this character. Um, to give you an idea of who he is, um, Mike Watts, played by the legendary Nick Frost... Um, he's Tim's best friend. He wishes he could join the British Army, but he cannot, owing to the detached retinas he received. Oh, that's, uh, a, that's a big spoiler for the end of Series 1, but we'll work to the assumption that all of you have watched it on all four. Oh, it's very okay. free on all four. Uh, yeah, sorry. I should have... Yeah, he, he's eligible, Spoilers so he incoming. Might... Spoilers incoming. Oh, well, get... <laughs> so he ends up um, in, in the TA... And the reason when they came out, the reason that um, he is thrown out of the TA it was so funny. I'm not going to spoil that's all I should say, the Euro Disney accident. You need, if you haven't watched this show, get on it because it is pure class. And the character itself was based on a recurring joke believe it or not between peg and frost seriously wow yeah and yeah it's watch it <laughs> yeah watch it that's, that's our recommendation uh but there is obviously that chemistry is there from the minute you see these two characters come together for the first time and obviously when he does eventually make it back into the territorial army there's another one of the film references as well the um I've, I've got I've got me list up here as uh, there is a clear reference to officer and a gentleman because Tim carries uh, Mike out of the TA offices and there's a, a reference to officer and a gentleman and that was one of the highlights of the outtake reel because they kept falling over. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's a program that you can tell they had a lot of fun making and it's it, it 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 it's a difficult show to sort of comprehend for modern audiences because you at, at the time it was a big thing when it went out on Channel Four it was in the prime slot half past nine on a Friday night literally in between Friends and Frasier that is the best slot you could get at the time. It's also really important to understand the state of TV back here as well. Like we we're really I can't. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I can't explain to you how different TV is now between when I grew up. I mean, Sky TV was just becoming a household it had thing. It just launched, yeah. It was just becoming a household thing. It was it was still it was still around, but you didn't get Sky TV unless you were really well off. It was not a household thing at all. Um I I still remember watching episodes of Star Trek the Next Generation on Sky One back when I was a little nipper, and it was an incredible experience. To think, wow, you have all these channels. Because I, I remember, you know, so... I, I've, I've seen a lot of marketing material from the time, and they were like hamming up the facts, like, oh, we are the only place in the UK where you can watch The Simpsons, the big new sensation from America. Yeah, that's how big of a deal Sky was back then. And then so, the, the BBC got the free to air rights. Yeah. So to understand, you know, that's how big TV was. And that's so they had to be really careful about where they put these shows on terrestrial TV because Channel 4 was a terrestrial TV show. Um, and to have this, this unknown show go up against the likes of Frasier in the primetime slot, that's big. 
Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, it was literally the lead-in for Frasier. Friends was on at 9, Spaced at 9.30, and then Frasier came on at 10. Yeah. And Friends was big. And yet, here we are now, and that slot's taken by Gogglebox. How TV's fallen. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. But it's, it's another important note. You mentioned, quite rightly, you mentioned how TV was quite different back then. Uh, this was technically an ITV production because it was London Weekend who made it in association with Paramount Comedy, who would go on to become a little thing called Comedy Central. Aye, aye. Um, but this would not fit on an ITV channel. ITV was seen as the serious, highbrow commercial broadcaster. Nobody spoke of Channel 5 because they only launched two years prior. So yeah, naturally, they were still baby steps. They were still baby steps for the people who could actually get it on their TV. Uh, but Channel 4 were always seen as the alternative. So Spaced naturally found its home on 4. And yeah. it has become one of their biggest commissions, and quite rightly so. Yeah. And it's, it's obvious to see why, because no one would take a chance on a comedy that, would, that was so self-referential, so daring, and yet at the same time would go on to... Cult has been the word that we've mentioned a lot, and it has become quite a cult show. Yeah, and you are right, in the sense that nobody would take the chance, and that's what Channel 4 um, essentially was for back in the day. Nowadays, I think everyone's willing to take a little bit of a chance on certain TV channels, Um but Channel 4 is essentially the place where if, if you had this wacky, crazy idea and the BBC were like, no, we don't want that. We, we, we bite our thumb at it. And ITV were like, no, we don't want that. That's a bit too out there. <laughs> ITV to... only cared about who wants to be a millionaire at that point. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, then you take it to Channel 4 because Channel 4 were just completely... They were completely off the wall crazy. And this fitted perfectly with it's like you've already mentioned it's so self-referential with with movies but also as well you've got the you know, the crazy camera angles the sound effect you know that that punctuate the comedy this was stuff that was very rarely done because it was seen as you know too cartoonish and here it is in live action british comedy of course channel 4 are going to want this they're going to snap this up oh yeah and, oh my word, thank the Lord that they did. Uh, you mentioned the sound effects as well. Some of the music choices were quite informed. I think one of the moments that set me off laughing big time was in one of the Series 1 episodes where um, Brian, the artist, is uh, on coat room duties for a party. As mm. a, it's OK, I'll take it to Daisy's room. Magnificent Seven theme kicks in. <laughs> One of the best jokes of the entire series. I won't give away the full context of the joke, but I, I, I watched that episode back, again, researching for this show, and, oh, they did a 21st anniversary event before the lockdown kicked in, and that joke got a standing ovation at the BFI when they played the episode again. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also important as well to talk about some of the people who were the recurring characters as well in this because there's a lot of up-and-comers on this um people who have who now gone on to do incredible things yeah like peter serafinowicz one of my favorite comedians yes. Dwayne Dwayne Benzies. arrogant and intimidatingly uh, intimidatingly gravely voiced backstabber all i need to say um, about his character it's not a bed seat it's a flat paintball gun's fire <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's you know peter serafinowicz is an absolute 
he's just so brilliant in it. And then, of course, you've got another one of my favourite comedian, comedians, Bill Bailey, who yes! plays Bilbo Bagshot. Bilbo Baggins, the owner of the comic shop. Bizarre. You know, I mean, he plays a character who beats up his dad for slaying a hawk for Slayer was rubbish. <laughs> yes, yes. And then, then, of course, that character pops up a little bit more in Series 2, post-Phantom Menace. That's one of the things that I love about this programme, is it deals with the expectation and the fallout of that film. Series 2 opens, Daisy comes back from her travels. It's like, like, yeah, I've got problems, Simp. Yeah, I've got problems with George Lucas. Cut to shot of him burning all this Star Wars memorabilia. And then you've got Clive Russell who plays Damien Knox. And this is another thing as well. There's so many comic references on this. You know, Damien Knox is the head of Dark Star Comics. And he is responsible for, you know, a, a, a horrifyingly haunting vision um, that Tim has. And that ma- that character is based on Herr Star from Preach the comic. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible like this is a, and to understand how incredible that is how, what an, an incredible reference that is like preacher was just a comic back then no hardly anyone had heard of it you had to be well into comics to get that like oh i i can't begin to tell you how incredible that reference is it really did do the trick for comic book fans back in the day because they, did, they didn't have their needs fulfilled. It wasn't like we had any TV shows go- making it all look cool. A lot of people have said that Spaced is one of the few TV shows that gets the depiction of video games perfect because you don't yeah. have any silly sound effects. You just see raw gameplay. Goes a moment, like, what are you playing? It's like, Tomb Raider 3. What's it about? Pain, suffering. <laughs> uh... But yeah, you are right as well. That in one of those things, it, it, it has a lot of respect for the culture that it's referencing. There's no, our oh, computer games are silly, blah blah blah, comic books are silly, or anything like that. They don't mock them with silly rubbish sound effects. They treat the culture with the utmost respect. It's like, hey, this is the culture that our characters grew up in that you've probably grown up in and this is how it's made them who they are today and that's like a nice little sort of hint as to uh, when edgar would eventually make it big major hint to the sort of things he would do with scott pilgrim over a decade yeah. later like scott pilgrim was it, it, scott pilgrim was responsible for a lot of ladies dying their hair purple and blue and like ramona yeah yeah and to look like Ramona, so he's he's even had a, an effect on that. That's crazy. But yeah, again, we we see with 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 Edgar Wright, who is a massive pop culture nerd. He is essentially the the best way to describe it is Edgar Wright's knowledge of pop culture and video games is a cent, is the equivalent of Tarantino's knowledge of film, which is ironic because. He- Tarantino and Edgar Wright are like really best mates. Wright would literally yeah. go on to program a whole week of films at the New Beverly, which is the cinema Tarantino um, runs over in LA. No way! Did not know that. Yeah, they're like, 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 like really close. Oh, it's really cool. Uh, but other, a lot, again, there's a show you could. It's difficult to keep a program about spaced down to an hour. But there is oh, so many 
things. Uh, there's another like precursor to the Cornetto trilogy that I found out. Uh, towards the end of series two, uh, we see Tim and Daisy planning a night out, and there is a moment. It's like, so what are we going to do tonight? Simon Pegg turns to the camera and goes, "Right," and he lays out his plan for the night, just like he does in Shaun of the Dead. They knew they had the film by that point. They they had their eyes on a film by that point, and it was it was surreal to see. Simon Pegg laying out a plan. It's like, well, we're going to go on the tube. We're going to have some drugs so we're absolutely rat-faced before we get have our first pints. We stay for the night and we get the last tube home. And they eventually go, because Daisy suggests a more cultured approach. And then you, as, the plan, as he goes through his plan, big drum and bass kicks in. Of course, very different to what we get in Shaun of the Dead, where we have the music from, um, from Dawn of the Dead kick in. You could tell that the footprints were there they were they had their ideas and we were thinking how much of it can we get away with what can we afford to license most importantly and they were thinking yeah so channel four have got this film division shall we work with them on developing something Hmm. it is it is a a beautiful turn of events for that team because they didn't know yet but uh, I was on one of the Space fan sites that hasn't been updated since the series finished. There was a reference to Peg, Frost and Wright going to Cannes the same year that Series 2 finished to pitch an untitled zombie film. So they were already starting to get the script ready while yeah. working on the series. Yep. And of course, again... Going back to what you're talking about in terms of getting you know everything ready, Edgar Wright has been recognised as an auteur because we also see. I, I sort of briefly mentioned this when when I mentioned that um, you know that there's a lot of comedic, cartoonish um, effects, but these effects are now essentially uh, expected in an Edgar Wright movie. Yeah. Tracking shots, dolly zooms, an editing style that includes transitions, whip pans and wipes, things that you wouldn't normally see. It gives it a very comic book effect, I would say. It's it's like watching a comic book panel moving. Yeah. And you see this, you see all this and more in space. Uh, I think... If you wanted to see the, you know, a really great example of all his signature editing styles, plus Edgar Wright just throwing his love out there, you've got to look at Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Oh, indeed you do. Indeed you do. I, I get when someone says to me they haven't seen Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I think the only way they can make my day worse is saying, oh, and I've never heard of Pulp Fiction either. That. Never heard of Pulp Fiction. Heathen! Heathen! Yeah, there are people in the world that exist that, that that have never heard of Pulp Fiction or never watched it. Yeah, that's become a big thing. And, and, and we, Pulp Fiction, one of the films, is directly referenced in space. It's almost like everything comes back to this show for us. Yeah, it is. It is essentially... Because, of course, Edgar Wright did do things different than this. He directed the comedy series mm. Asylum in 1996... Then you mentioned 1995, A Fistful of Fingers, his first feature film. But his keystone was spaced, mm-hmm. definitely. 
And the Americans, of course, wanted a slice of the pie. And unfortunately, there was an American remake mounted. McGee was to produce it. And it sucked. Yeah. Because you can't do Spaced unless your name is Edgar Wright. Well, you can't do Spaced even if you're Edgar Wright because it's not an American... It's, it's, it's a British... It, it's so essentially British comedy... It can't be trans. I'm sorry, no, you can't do it in American. It, it's like trying to make. I don't know. Well, not only it's that, the American remake came eight years after the end of series two. Yeah. Ugh. So it was so. so outdated by the time it made it over there. Yeah. Oh dear. Uh, I've 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 only seen clips of the American remake, and I'm glad I've only seen clips because if I was to watch any more, I would be putting the rant music on and going nuclear on it right now because it does not look good at all. Yeah. Okay, then. What would you expect? McGee was a producer. Well, probably one of the reasons why it sucks is because Wright, Peg, nor Stevenson were at any point approached about the Amer- American remake, which yeah, has that been explains dumped, a lot. That explains a lot. Which has which Edgar Wright calls McSpaced. Yes. I mean, when yeah. it came out, they were go like yeah yeah we're making we're making a um a film about british police procedurals now what we'll, we'll, we'll be on that because this around time hot fuzz was in in the works crazy stuff crazy stuff indeed but uh some of the other film references again we, we mentioned edgar being like the king of the uh the film references first episode of series two they're with the times because they reference the bloody Matrix. That whole that whole plot, even with a parody bullet time sequence as well. This is two thousand and one. Film was still fresh in people's minds. It's almost like that they lived close to an Odeon. Other cinemas available, of course. It's almost like Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, and Edgar Wright watched movies together. And again, you can see because of that, this is where they got their natural chemistry. And Wright talked about it on Twitter. Yeah. He, he live tweeted the whole of series one. He was up till half past two on a Friday night, tweeting the whole thing as it was broadcast on Channel Four. I was following that along and watching it all go out. And there oh. have been some interesting stories. Uh, so the whole Nick Frost not acting before, 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 and in between series of Spaced, he worked in Chiquitos. Wow. He worked in Chiquitos and he went back after Series 1 finished because he thought it would be a one-and-done thing. He never thought it would be commissioned for a second run and then he's now a full-time actor. Yeah. It, I, again, it, if you told me that Nick Frost had never done acting before, I mean, I, I wouldn't have believed it. He, he fits into this role so naturally. It's, it's like somebody... I, it, it, he fits into this role like a warm pair of pajamas. Oh, yeah. It's great, um, you know, because he's obviously appeared in like training video clips and sales videos as well. Um, so it's it's not like he's even had, but he he had massive experience. Oh. It's incredible. But to go from um, no experience to being one of the supporting roles in a major Channel 4 breakthrough comedy. That yeah. is quite a thing. Yeah, I think he had bare minimum experience. He had two episodes on something called Big Train. Yeah, iconic, iconic. A couple of supporting roles on that. And that was it. 
and then here he is working with his best mate on a show that he would have been so excited to work on. And just the, the, the filming series one, there wasn't much inside of any location stuff. The only real location we got to see were the iconic 23 Meteor Street, which is the house where it's all based, a couple of pubs around London, a couple of offices, a paintball course for later on in the series where some of the funniest jokes in the entire series are laid down, looking at uh, Sarah Fenwick's character there. Uh, yeah. But it's also where, where that paintball course is where we get some of the best film references because there's Jurassic Park references, there's references to uh, a Schwarzenegger movie, Commando. <laughs> and, oh yeah, there's even a reference to Terminator. The end of that episode is like, there's a storm coming, Tim. It's just chock-a-block of references. And go that half hour, every episode, you watch that half hour and it just flies by. It flies by every single episode. Yeah. It, it's... It's so perfect that time just becomes immaterial and you're not watching just any ordinary TV show. You're you're watching something special and you know it's something special. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of many other TV shows like that. Mm. I think Star Trek The Next Generation, maybe? Potentially, yeah. Potentially one of them. Um, I'm trying to think. Blimey, I can't remember that far back in terms of TV. <laughs> um, yeah, so many. Like, I, I don't know how else I can put it, really. <laughs> it, it, it was a, it was a show that was ahead of its time in a lot of a lot of ways. See, I, I would disagree. I don't think it was ahead of its time. Really? I think it was of its time, and I think it dared to be of its time, which is why it was so successful. I, I think that when you have a look at a lot of comedies or even a lot of dramas, they attempt to portray things that they think are actually happening when it's not the case. Mm when you have um a thing like frost uh, the frost um when you have a thing like um spaced spaced attempt uh, essentially to look at the world and like right what is this world you know let, 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 let's look at the world let's create this world of of pop culture and 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 base the characters in in sort of realism of some characteristics of the of of people that you would have no doubt met mm. during those days. Uh, obviously, it emphasizes the comedic aspects of them, and um, yeah, I, I think that because it was of the time, I think that's why it was quite popular because it dared to say, "Look, there are, you know, there are these characters here who just want to live their dreams." Yeah, boom. We even have like dream sequences that uh, sort of show off what they really want to do, and especially uh, Jessica Stevenson's character. We see Daisy fantasise about being quite a successful writer, then we see her wake up and she reali we realise that she's written absolutely nothing on her typewriter. One of the best running jokes in the entire show, that she just can't be motivated to write anything, and yet she wants to be a successful journalist. Yeah. 
<sighs> I remember the uh, job interview she has with someone. Yes, yes. She ends with, by going girl power. It was with a magazine, a magazine, Flaps magazine, if I remember rightly. Some of the, Something like that, yeah. yeah. She finishes with girl, uh, girl power, and then she gets home, dejected, and, and Tim goes to her, like, yeah, w- w- did you use girl power? He's like, yeah. Did you give this symbol? And then the V symbol gets given, so, and she immediately starts sobbing. <laughs> It was uh, Edgar uh, Edgar and the team hit the nail on the head with that one because, of course, uh, Spice Girl. I think well, I think that was the year the Spice Girls film came out. So yeah, they were on the money there. They were on the money. Uh, but, yeah, so some some of these jokes again may not have dated well in terms of modern day society but yeah. one, of, one of the things that I found particularly fascinating given the fact that Edgar's been in the news this week with his new film were some of the references to the horror genre because uh, we know what's happening with Wright's new film which is going to be released in April next year last night in Soho where he's going to be returning to the horror genre for the first time since Shaun of the Dead came out what yeah. I'm particularly fascinated with this film is the fact that he's got a brand new screenwriter working with him on it, who isn't Nick Pe- uh, Nick Frost, who isn't Simon Pegg, who isn't even Jessica Stevenson. He's working with a girl who co-wrote 1917. What I'm excited about with this film is to see how the Edgar Wright style will work on someone else's script that he hasn't had much involvement in, and we we seen it we seen it kind of happen with Spaced. But could it be you know one of the reasons? Because of course, Edgar Wright, self-professed comic book fan, what would an Edgar Wright Ant Man would have been like? Yeah, because I think one of the things that was really obvious in Ant Man, because if I remember rightly, um, he was originally he was originally going to write and direct it, dropped out because of creative differences. Yeah. But they still kept some things in the script that from Edgar Wright into the movie. Yeah. There were and a couple of sequences where you see the wind pans and yeah. the scene where we, we see him using the powers for the first time. That is so obviously Edgar Wright's style. There is no shadow of a doubt about it. in there. And I think Ant-Man suffered because of it, because it was like, well, hang on a minute... You're using Edgar Wright's style, which we can clearly see, but then you've got this other style of conventional Hollywood, which is clashing horribly with it. And I think that's one of the reasons why Ant-Man wasn't... It, it was the most Marvel movie that they've released so far. Yep, and it's no, um, no coincidence that after that they started giving the directors a little bit more creative freedom. Yep, and that's why Ant-Man and the Wasp was a little bit better. But not because, as good as the other ones. No, because you know it, again, it, was, it was perfect oh, post Infinity War viewing. Yeah, pretty much. Because and the reason it was good and 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 better than the first Ant Man was because the director's vision was all the way through and you could see it. So that pretty much tells all you need to know about Edgar Wright. It's like no, you can't. I mean, you it. it <laughs> The, again, look, going back to Tarantino, it's like people trying to copy Tarantino's style. You will notice it, but it's not as good as the original. No. You can't out Tarantino Tarantino, and you can't out Edgar Wright Edgar Wright. It doesn't you work. You definitely can't. I mean, although one thing to think about 
if Edgar Wright had stayed on and done Ant-Man, we wouldn't have had Baby Driver. Which leads me into my next point here. Because one year after he finished Spaced, Mint Royale came calling to do a couple of music videos. One of them was for Blue Song. And he's, mm. he's said many times again that the video for Blue Song was based on an idea that he had in 1995 for a feature film about a driver who has earphones in, listening to music, and he's on his game when he has his music. So, again, Baby Driver is an idea he has had for over 20 years, and he was lucky to get it made. Yeah. And one movie Baby Driver is, it has one of the best soundtracks imaginable. Indeed. I mean, I, uh... it is, yeah. That opening of Baby Driver, when Bell Bottoms kicks in, oh, oh. Yeah. And again, you can see Edgar Wright's style within the first few moments of the introduction with, you know, zoom-ins, dolly shots, and and whips. Uh, it, it's, it's a thing to behold. Uh, I love Baby Driver. Yeah. I mean, music's always been one of Wright's strong points, especially in space. Who, who could forget that uh, one of the clubbing sequence... We see Mike appear from out of nowhere and you hear a remix of the A Team music. Yeah, uh, he's Edgar has been able to mix. He, he's he can mix sounds with visual up with the best of them. Oh yeah. Um, I think. I mean, again, this is very heavily done in Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Chris Evans walking out to the Universal Pictures theme music. Oh. Yes. It's getting boring by the sea. By blood red shoes in the club. Mm-hmm. Brilliant stuff. It's just like, it's like a visual juxtaposition of being able to take good music, good visuals, merge them together to get the, like, the best com- comedic impact. You don't get a director who can do that that often. And Edgar's been doing this for nearly 20 years now. Yeah. And it, it explains why Channel 4 decided on a whim to air the whole first series of Space, and it won over a lot of new fans that evening. Which which is what the sort of thing that this show needs, because people don't really think about Space when they think about Edgar Wright. They always think, oh, Edgar Wright, yeah, he did. Shaun of the Dead, that's on ITV2 every weekend, mate. Yeah. So, no, you have to watch Space to truly get how brilliant Shaun of the Dead is. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, so 2003 to 2013, um, Spaced pretty much opens the world to Wright and Peg, mm-hmm. and they decide, actually, do you know what? We're going to go to the big screen, and they decide to make Shaun of the Dead. Which now, I literally have my copy of right here. They make, nice. if you're watching on the Rip Ticket page, there it is. Literally have my copy to hand. Very nice. So, where was I? Oh, yeah, uh, Sean over there. Now, this is kind of a point where zombies were kind of in a resurgence, weren't they? Yeah, this is um, a couple of years George after Romero. 28 Romero. days later had just come out as well. Sorry? 28 days later had come out two years before yeah. Sean as well. So, we're seeing evolution of, the, of, of zombies from the slow shuffling brains to... You know, these running zombies in 
28 days later. Yeah. And Shaun of the Dead, it's a zombie comedy. Um, the very which first rom-zom-com, as it was described yeah. on the poster. Which mixed the Brit flick romantic comedy style, and it was just a hot an homage to George A. Romero and Sam Raimi. It essentially took characters from space, rejiggled them a little bit, yeah, and said, "What if they were in a zombie apocalypse?" And the result, it was it was a critical and financial success. It is being used to. It is being used to teach British comedy in film studies. Oh yeah, it's fan. It's rooting in the American genre as well. Only served to help it mm-hmm. because now we've gone from having film references and and references to cultures that British people can maybe understand to an American genre, the zombie horror movie, the B-movie, which you'd go to a drive-in theatre to watch, now being lovingly, you know, replicated and paid tribute to in its comedy style into the international international world. And Americans loved it. Like, Americans love Shaun of the Dead because... To them, it's that's British comedy, and it's an easy Halloween costume. Because <laughs> all you need bit of shirt, bit of, actually, yeah. is that blood on your shirt? Red tie, and then boom, you're Sean. Pretty much. So after that, the pair looked looked into planning out a trilogy of it was genre a, comedies, it, and they jokingly said, "What are we going to call it?" Yeah, uh, the uh, the Free Flavors Cornetto trilogy. Yep. It was a joke in an interview. About the ice cream product Cornetto and its effectiveness as a hangover cure. I haven't actually tried it yet, but apparently Edgar Wright swears by it. Um, And what made this trilogy unique was that they were not connected by narrative, but by their shared traits and motifs. Mm -hmm. Essentially, the two films that followed would essentially be tributes to different kinds of films that people would grow up in would grow up with so you'd have hot fuzz the comedy action thriller which paid tribute to those 90s action movies where everything was just completely blown up but in proper british comedy style yes. two policemen in a sleepy village town one one of the things that they've said on the DVD commentary because they, they interviewed a lot of actual police in the making of the film, and one of the one of the compliments they had from actual officers like, "Yeah, you got the one thing that people assume about us, right? The paperwork." Because <laughs> you have Nicholas yeah. Angel going running by the law, and again, lots of star cameos in that film. Kate Blanchett popped up, Peter Jackson as Father Christmas in the opening. Yeah. But one one of the things that you see um, Simon Pegg do a lot in that film is paperwork, especially when he takes in the underage drinkers. He's like, yeah, buy the book, buy the book. And yet he's doing all this in the quietest, most quaintest countryside village in the UK, which makes it just so funny. Yep. And then they move on. There's a little bit of a, a gap in between... Um, 
in between because they all went off to their solo the projects and there's, yeah. there's a huge gap um in between that you have right he 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 brings out he he scott pilgrim versus the world and peg and frost do pork which uh... yeah um he helped um he helped with tintin the adventures of tintin um, he directed a trailer called in, in uh, Quentin Tarantino's Grindhouse called Don't. And he wants to develop that into a full film. He actually wants to do a full film. And then, of course, in 2013, The World's End, which I think is the weakest of the Cornetto yeah, trilogy. definitely the weakest. Um, because it's not obvious as to what it's paying homage to. I think it pays a little bit an homage to a little too much mm. because you've got like the British binge movie um, where people are trying to recapture their lost youth and, and live in a pointless world, sort of similar to Train Spotting. But yeah. then you've got like the martial arts fighting scenes, and then you've got sci-fi. And I think it was at this point people, Edgar Wright tried to out Edgar Wright himself. Well, it was and all, created, at and, that and, and point then, he had an eye on Ant Man. At that point, he had his eyes on Ant Man. Yeah, before it all I went think down. What happened was essentially Wright suffered a critical malfunction, and 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 created sort of like a paradox where he 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 righted upon his right, and it, it went completely crazy. Still a great movie. Oh, yeah, still Don't good. get me wrong, Nick Frost, absolutely fantastic, and it was the most mature movie as well out of the um, Cornetto trilogy. It takes again, it takes these characters tropes from spaced updates them a little bit to the 2013s these are you know and and brings them into the forefront and, and shows how they sort of evolve and grow that these and in in the midst of a of, of an alien invasion it, it's it's crazy um still watch it don't oh, yeah. get me wrong it's it's a great movie still watch it but you know you probably shouldn't you should probably i would say the world's end is probably the best one to watch first yeah, and then do and f- then not- go for hot fuss and then go for um blah, go for blah, 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 sure. yeah yeah for sure watch them in reverse. That's order. exactly how I did it. I did World's End first, then Fuzz, and then Sean. It works though, doesn't it? Oh yeah, it does work because you can see of course the films get better. It's no coincidence that the World's End was the highest budget of the entire <laughs> Cornetto trilogy. And yeah. again, we've talked in our previous live, we talked about how filmmakers generally have a nice little budget that they like to work with. The guy who did Alien Resurrection, big major Hollywood movie, it tanked. Comes back a few years later with a French film called Amelie, becomes the talk of Hollywood cinema. It's almost like yeah. these filmmakers need to start understanding their limits a little bit more. Just don't go too big on the ambition, which is why Edgar came back with a passion project. Yeah. And then, obviously, he was... Um, in 2014, um, he, he... Well, he was he was uh, developing a live-action film based on Ant-Man since, with Joe Cornish since 2016. Um, however, in 2014, he left. This is what he said the reason was. The most diplomatic answer is, I wanted to make a Marvel movie, but I don't think they really wanted to make an Edgar Wright movie. Mm-hmm. Having written all my other movies, that's a tough thing to move forward. Suddenly, becoming a director for hire on it, you're sort of less emotionally invested, and you start to wonder why you're there, really. And It, it yeah. may explain the whole... Um, the meme that's become the thing of, oh yeah, I got sacked from Star Wars... Mm. because the same thing happened to Phil Lord and Chris Miller on Solo. They wrote it. 
the yeah. same thing happened to Colin Trevorrow on what would eventually become the rise of Skywalker, and we know how that turned out. It is almost like these big Hollywood Goliaths are like not able to see the talent in these directors, which again explains why Sony were quite bold in uh, late 2017 to release an Edgar Wright movie in the middle of summer with none of the Cornetto collaborators. And here yeah. we are, three years later, Baby Driver is still beloved by a lot of audiences. Edgar Wright wasn't just lucky because he had his gang with him it proved that he had something there all along and it proved that he was a true auteur that you could take his style his emotional investment in characters which he began with spaced and evolved over the course of a long and successful career which is still going along it proved that you could take all that with any with any actors and make it into an Edgar Wright movie and it would still be damn good. Oh, yeah. This is this is what I'm looking forward to, his next film, because it looks to be a return to the genre that he redefined for British audiences back in 2004. Because, uh, of course, Last Night in Soho is the next big project he's working on. Alongside a documentary about the band Sparks, he's been working on that for two years because uh, he tweets about it on a regular basis. Yeah, but he's a he's a director um, who's not afraid to do what he wants to do, and he's not afraid yep. to speak his mind about it either, as proven other with what happened on Ant Man. Yeah, other potential projects as well include the expansion of his Don't Fake trailer, which was in Grindhouse, adaptions of the TV series The Night Stalker, uh, as well as a book, The Grass. Uh, sorry, adaptions of the book The Grasshopper Jungle, and fortunately The Milk, as well as a possible sequel to Baby Driver. Oh, Sony have confirmed the sequel's definitely happening on Baby Driver. Sony want it badly. And in a sense, kind of ending full circle to where we began, as we say that Edgar Wright is obviously the king of uh, popular culture, yeah. and his knowledge of um, popular culture rivals that of Tarantino's film. In 2019, he made an appearance as a non-player character in Hideo Kojima's Death Stranding. Yes, Stranding. I was a little bit surprised when that cameo appeared. He's like, "Oh my god!" So he went to Japan mm. and I did a scan because Kojima scanned a lot of people. He even scanned game critics in just for the sheer hell of it. But for Edgar Wright to appear, and it, it looks exactly like him as well. When I see the pictures, like, wow, they did a good job. Yeah. But that's that. That's it. Cut, wrap, print. Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright done. is God. Edgar Wright is a God. He is definitely one of the best British talents in cinema going today. Yeah. And his work will be viewed. Through a lens by film and TV media tutors and scholars yeah. for a very long time. He's one of the greats. I know, I know with the film production students I worked with last year, they talk about Edgar Wright a lot in terms of their film, in their first year filmmaking course. Yeah. I, I will not be surprised if that continues. I might send a, te a text to the lecturer I work with about that later on. I'll let Ed know. But that is almost it for this week's Rip Ticket Review. Mr Carver, what are we talking about next Sunday? I do believe that I have a hankering to talk about the Marvel Universe. Yes, Most specifically... 
most specifically um, talking about the superhero genre before the Marvel Universe and why exactly did Marvel get it right? Yeah, that's a really good question because I, I rewatched Justice League for the first time since the cinemas uh, on Wednesday morning and I can really see the mistakes that DC have made over the years and we'll, we'll elaborate more on it next week. But it is clear that DC didn't know what they were doing. Marvel had a certain way of doing things, a certain way of making their films, a blueprint, if you will. And it paid off quite handsomely because they now have the highest grossing movie of all time. Well, let's talk about it next week. Yeah, that is our topic next week. Marvel, what did they get get right and how did DC fail so much? What Uh, lessons can be learned for the future? How lessons can be learned for the future, knowing that uh, the Snyder Cut actually exists. So that'll be next week from 3 o'clock here on the Facebook page for our podcast listeners. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your audio from. Uh, It's going to be a good next week. I could just feel... That uh, w- one of us could implode ranting about how DC failed so badly. So uh, I'll bring. I think the time has passed now. Yeah, the time, um, the time has passed. Yeah. So I'll bring my old grey just in case I need to be mellowed out. But that will be next week here on the Rip Ticket Review. So until next Sunday at three o'clock and a couple of hours thereafter on the podcast feed, I've been Jack Smith. I've been Dan Carver. We will see you next Sunday from 3pm. Until then, we'll see you at the movies. Take it easy, everyone, and stay safe, because we know groups of six are there from Monday, so uh, don't go too risky. We'll see you next week.